Hey guys, welcome. Jump up on your feet. We're going to worship the Lord together. Come on.
great God. What a great God we serve. Amen. I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you for joining us live in person. You may be seated, please. God's been so good to us, hasn't he? Uh, just, to, just by way of announcements today, first of all, if this is your first time here, your first, second, third time, we'd like to invite you to stop by our welcome center in the foyer. We have a gift. We'd like to just say thank you for coming today. We'd like to give you a gift and say thank you for being here. God has been so good to us as a church. And if you need anything else, any other questions about anything, uh, like where the restroom is today, okay? Our men's room is under construction. You have to go, men, you got to go into the next building. So just stop out there. They'll help you, all right? Uh, they'll, they'll help everybody. Uh, so that's what are a lot of good people on the floor. Can we thank God for our first impressions team out there? Man, they're incredible. They're incredible. <clears throat> And uh, I'd like to encourage you, the, uh, the, the March prayer journals are out there. When you come in or, or as you leave today, grab one. They're just uh, some space for you to journal your prayer life. And so we start off with 21 days of prayer, and we've been, we've been journaling, and people are really getting into this. And so I'm so thankful to see this new move of God in the church. Great things are happening. And uh, also I want to encourage you that we're starting to hand out the, uh, the, the, the notes when you come in so that you can follow along. If you're not comfortable with taking one from somebody, you can get them out of the basket on the table. So we are just, we're thankful. Aren't you glad that we're back? It's exciting. God is doing great things, and, and I'm just so thankful. Let's thank God for that this morning, you know? It's really good to see Marianne Mickett out there. Those of you that know Marianne Mickett, Marianne's uh, one uh, faithful part of our, our ministry here, and her and Tom, they've been laying low for the virus' sake. And uh, they feel comfortable to return, and it's great to see her. Let's thank God for Tom and Mary Ann Mickett today, man. That's fantastic, fantastic. And I wish I could do that with every person as we return. I want to. I'm going to invite everyone, whether you're watching online or maybe you're here, and you, but you know some other people that just haven't been out yet. Let's make Easter a target date. That's a great date that we can start to say, hey, let's get everybody back in action. If they feel comfortable, because many times we just create new habits and things like that, too. So I want we're, we're setting a target of Easter. Easter's going to be incredible around here. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to have an egg hunt. You know, last year we had we wanted to do an egg hunt and we couldn't because of the uh, the pandemic. 
And I'll tell you what, I'm so impressed with our children's ministry team. They stepped up to the plate. They got all the eggs together. They made a bag of eggs. Now, remember, that was Easter. That was right into that pandemic. And our children's ministry team, they had a drive-by egg hunt. So you came up and you got your eggs. Let's thank God for our children's team, man. They are with, man, wow. Nothing gets in the way of the mission. Nothing gets in the way of the mission. So they, they made that happen. So this year they said, hey, we want to get the kids up here, and we want to do it. They're going to have 10,000 eggs out there on the lawn. There's going to be, um, it's going to be crazy up here, right? There's going to be kids everywhere. They're going to tell the story of Jesus. That's what we're all about. They're going to tell these kids about Jesus. So um, invite your friends, your family, your relatives, anybody that has kids, fourth grade and under, they will have a great, great time uh, at this egg extravaganza. So we are not just doing an egg hunt. We are going over the edge, okay? It's an egg extravaganza. And so I want to encourage you, that's coming up the last Sunday of March, okay? This is the last day of February. Thank you, Lord. Put that snow away, right? So this is the last day of February. We're one month away from this egg hunt. That will be on Palm Sunday weekend, the Saturday right before Palm Sunday. And so I want to invite you to, to spread the word. Do it on, you know, put out your social media, whatever. But I'll tell you what, nothing beats a personal invite. Social media is social media. But a human is a human. And God will use you. And you just say, hey, I'd like to invite you. I'd like to, I'd like to why don't you come up and have some fun. We got, we got 10,000 eggs, all right? Now, many of you would like to serve. You say, how can I help? How can I get involved? If you go into the foyer today as you exit the building here, there's a, there's a table set up, and it will, you'll see over there they're, they're, they're staffing it. You'll be able to go over and find out what you can do. Maybe you can help supply prizes. Maybe you can help be part of different teams. They've got so many new ideas, and we want to uh, just get as many people involved as we can here, and, uh, and let's serve the Lord. And so we're going to come right off of that, and then the following week we're going to have Good Friday. Last year for Good Friday... I was here by myself, and I remember crying. I was so emotional through, uh, through just doing communion here. I had my wife and my daughters, and, uh, and we did an online communion service for Good Friday. This year, we're going to have a Good Friday communion service, and we're going to come. We're going to reflect and remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and then we're going to take communion. So mark your calendar for that now. That's April the 2nd, Friday, April the 2nd, and then Easter is Easter Sunday the 4th. Right now we have a, a 9.30 and an 11 o'clock service. We have also a 6 o'clock on Saturday. And there's, uh, there's potential that we may add more as we see, investigate it. But I, uh, I accidentally in the first service said 6 a.m. I was like, no, 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 that ain't happening. That's not happening. So 6 p.m., but this sun don't rise, all right? So um, you're, you're not going to get that here, all right? So, but we may toy around with something around 8. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll open up some different opportunities because, listen, I want you to go out, people that you know, and make them feel comfortable. Maybe there's people that, that have never been to our church. It's a great time to invite them. And maybe there's others that just haven't been out yet. And this would be a good day for them to, to come and begin to get, get back in the routine. So we're praying for everybody. You know, so many people, God's moving and, and just working and doing his, his work. And I want to encourage you to be a part of the work of God. Thank you for your faithfulness and giving. God has been moving. He's doing great, great things in the church. And uh, as you've been giving, God has uh, been using your heart, your time, your talent, and your treasure for his eternal kingdom. 
And so that, this is so powerful, the kingdom of God. It's, it, you're, you're a part of it. And not only are you giving, you're investing. And it's an eternal investment. So we say thank you for investing here and, and, and being faithful to God here at Crossroads with us as, uh, as we continue. It was a long year, but we're getting ready, man. There's new, new territory to claim. Amen? New territory to claim for God Almighty, and we're going to go for it. So I want to uh, want to encourage you as we, we go along the journey. Then one other family I'd like to ask you to pray for today is uh, the, the Adams family, Mark and Cherie Adams, who attend here. Several weeks ago in the 21 days of prayer, I asked you to pray for their granddaughter, Rachel Laura was her name, 17 years old, and she had a brain tumor. And, uh, and we were praying. We are saying, Lord, could you please, would you work, would you, would you touch her? And, uh, and the Lord did work, and she has gone to be with the Lord. And 17 years old, their granddaughter, who now lives in Pensacola, Florida, that's where she lived. She was up here for eight, nine months throughout the pandemic here uh, getting treatment at the uh, Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh for this cancerous tumor. And so Rachel passed away last Sunday morning. And uh, they had her celebration of life yesterday. I logged online and watched it. They were in Pensacola. And so their family is all gathering together down there. But I'm, I'm just going to ask our church family if you would, would remember them in prayer. Uh, when, when, when we're one's hurting, we're all hurting. Amen? So let's, uh, let's lift them up to the Lord today as we go before the Lord. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to give, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to serve. Thank you, Lord, as we give. Lord, some give here in the offering boxes, others give in the mail, others give online. God, you're just so good. You're moving and you're doing some incredible work. Thank you for the faithfulness of God's people. Lord, thank you that we've been able to, to come before you and we've been able to, to um, just see you work, see your mighty hand this year, Lord. Uh, you, while, while this was a hard year, you've been strong and you've been with us and you've never left us. You've never forsaken us. God, we lift up right now Mark and Sheree Adams. We lift up Scott and Jennifer Laura, the parents of Rachel Laura. Lord, we thank you that Rachel was in your presence. She trusted you, and she was confident to know that she would be in your presence. And so, God, we ask now this morning, Lord, that uh, you'll be with this family as they grieve. But uh, they're not grieving without hope. This is painful and it's big, but, Lord, you're with them. So, God, I pray that you put your hand upon this family today, Lord, and uh, give us the grace that we need, Lord, to, to minister, to love, and to care. In your name we pray. Amen.
He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never even went to a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from his home, from the place where he was born. He did none of these things that were usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but he himself. He was only 33 when his friends abandoned him. One of them denied him. He he was turned over to his enemies and, and went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while dying, his executors gambled off his clothing, the, the only property that he had. When he was dead... He was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today this Jesus is still the central figure of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, out of all of them put together, None of them have affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. 
Who was this figure? Who was this figure 2,000 years ago? Listen, this figure split the fabric of time. Today, when you check your, your phone, you see the date 2021. You see it's been 2,021 years since something happened. Who was this Jesus? Like, you've heard him. You've been coming to church. You've heard about him. But who was this Jesus? Like, the, the, everything has changed. We have made all of history around this solitary life of one man. And he didn't come just to have nice teaching and make you feel good. He didn't come just so that, uh, so that you would uh, have, have some platitudes. He came to change the world, and the whole world has been changed by him. Who was the solitary figure, the individual that today is still the hallmark of our greatest traditions, our greatest holidays on our calendar? Who was this man? We're going to look at, the, at who this man was. We're going to look at the remarkable claims of Jesus. We're going to look at the story of Jesus, and that's what we are all about here. Amen? This church, we are all about Jesus, and so... I want to take you on a journey. Who is this remarkable Jesus? Yes, he's a figure that you've heard of. Yes, you've, uh, you're a follower of Jesus, but really, who was he? Why should you give your life to follow him? Because that's what he's asking. He's given everything for you. Why would, why would you give your life to follow him? Because he is the remarkable Jesus. The story of Jesus. And so what God has given to us, he's given to us um, several accounts. There were several guys that, that gave us their account of the story of Jesus. As a matter of fact, you know them as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And, and so the, the, they come from different perspectives. And so as you're going through this, you know, quite often if you just start to follow Christ, I will encourage you to read the book of John. It's 21 chapters. You can do one chapter a day for 21 days. So I'm going to give you a little bit of the difference between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because as you're reading, sometimes you'll say, wow, there's something different about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, it's kind of like if we all witnessed an accident. Let's say we went down the bottom of the hill. There was an accident. And we were on four corners of the accident, north, east, south, and west. Those on the north side of the accident would tell the accident as they saw from the north. Man, this guy was flying down 88. He crossed the yellow line, and that was his fault. Those looking from the southbound would say, man, the guy on the, on the side of the road, he was so innocent. And so everybody would have all the different parts. And so as you're seeing the story of Jesus through the eyes of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get different perspectives. Some people say that they contradict, while I would argue that it's not contradiction, it's a deeper story. They're telling you more details. And, and as you see it, it's the, many of the, it's the same life. It's the same life of Jesus. But Matthew, when he writes his letter, he writes his account of the life of Jesus. It's to those, the audience was a Jewish background. Uh, his main theme is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So if you go to Matthew, the first thing he does is he pulls out and he, he lists off all the genealogies, okay? So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. He was the father of this person. He was the father of that person. And for you and I, we look at it and say, what is all that? Because we don't have that Jewish mindset. 
You know, sometimes uh, my, my wife and I were doing a reading program this year. And we're, we're trying to, like, be aggressive, and so she's ahead of me. I'll just let you know that, okay? I, I don't know how that works. Maybe because she's a better reader, right? So uh, she, she's ahead of me on it. And as, she, as we're reading, she'll come to me and she'll say, what's with all these genealogies? Do I have to read those? I'm like, well, maybe I should. I'm the pastor. I guess I have to. I don't know, right? I say, listen, honey. And, she, and she'll ask me, why are they there? What sense does it make? I said, well, it makes sense not to you, but to the Jewish mind. Some of you are on Ancestry.com, aren't you? You know, you, you like to find out where you came from. One day a guy called my house and said, hey, uh, literally, I don't know how he got my number. They called my house. He said, hey, I think we're relatives. I was like, no, no. He was from out of state somewhere, and he's telling me, and, uh, and, and literally, he's like, hey, I found your name in this obituary, and were you related to this guy? And he goes, yeah, you're related to me. I was like, how much you want? <laughs> you know? And I was like, well, maybe you're giving, you know. I mean, when he, they, they called my mom, I was like, my mom was like really freaked out by it. I was like, mom, we might be millionaires. Now, foreigners are not millionaires. I'll just let you know that right now, okay? So, so here's what happened. In the Jewish background, there's details that show where Jesus came from. All the way. And, and the, there were, these were people, the Jewish people were schooled uh, in religion, in their, in their understanding of the Old Testament. They knew all that. Remember, still to this day, they schooled them very well up to age 12 in the, in the Jewish scriptures. So they, they go through and they go, and, and it's like ingrained into them. So when Matthew is writing to tell them about Jesus, the Messiah, he keeps showing them the promised Messiah. As a matter of fact, Matthew makes 50 direct quotes from the Old Testament and 75 allusions to it. So he says, hey, listen, this, he keeps bringing up, this is the fulfillment of this. Mark who we're going to spend some time on here in this series. Mark was written to Romans. He was written to, it was written to a group of Gentiles. You had the Jews and the Gentiles. So when you're reading the Bible, you'll find out there's the Jewish people. Jesus came. He was a Jew. He grew up in, in Jewish culture. So then the rest of the world was known as the Gentile world. Okay? So Mark was writing to a Gentile population, but a Gentile population in Rome. And so this guy is John Mark, who actually does the writing of, of the book of Mark. And he is bringing out that Jesus is the Son of God. And so he's saying, listen, Jesus is the Son of God. And so he keeps bringing this out, bringing this out. He doesn't quote the Old Testament as much. He only quotes the Old Testament 19 times. Um, because and to, the, to the Greek mind, to the Gentile mind, they didn't know all that. And it wasn't, it wasn't like turning on a color TV all of a sudden. You could see all the details. And so he's going at it. And, and as we study this book here, we're going to jump into this today. We're going to see that Jesus is the Son of God. He writes it to this group of believers that are up in Rome. They're facing some persecution up there. And, and his whole purpose is that they would see that he is the Son of God. Luke was a doctor. Luke wrote his to just a Gentile population, to a non-Jewish uh, population. And he tells us that Jesus is the Son of Man. In other words, he keeps bringing out the humanity of Christ. He's God, but he's man. He was not a myth. 
Uh, as you go through and you read Luke, you'll see he gives all kind of details. Here, here's the details of Luke. Uh, here, here's the details uh, of Jesus. And it was this time. He t- gives dates. He gives calendar. He gives location and so many details. He was a doctor. Doctors are detailed. Thank God for that, right? When I go see the doctor, I'm glad that they are detailed, you know. I don't want the doctor that says, well, okay, how you feeling today? I want the doctor that looks and finds out what's wrong with me. And he, I walk in, he knows there's something wrong. Um, Mark was written to Romans. Jesus is the Son of God. So, uh, And Luke was written to the Gentiles. Jesus is the Son of Man. And so... Um, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John was written to the Jews and Gentiles. He didn't have a specific audience, but it was to people so that they would know that Jesus is God. And he wants you to know that this Jesus is God. So he goes all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. He he goes back to Genesis, what he does. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He brings out the Trinity right there. The Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word, uh, the word was with God, the Word was God. All right, I'm confusing it, but you got the point. He says that Jesus is God from the very beginning. And then he goes into the life of Jesus. And, he, and, and so, so as you're getting this, you're getting different perspectives. So today, as we jump in, I want to talk about this guy. Seeing as we're talking about remarkable, we're going to talk about the book of Mark. Some people in the church have told me, hey, listen, you always tell me about John. Why have you never told me about Mark? I read the book of Mark. It's my favorite book in the Bible. So we're going to go through this book, and you are going to love it because he's going right there, and he's saying, hey, listen, this is the Son of God. Well, who was Mark? Mark wasn't a disciple. He was known as John Mark. As a matter of fact, uh, he was friends with the disciples. He was... um, he was a partial eyewitness. He, he eyewitnessed part of the life of Christ, certain events. He went on a missionary journey with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. And so he went on this missionary journey, and halfway through the missionary journey, he quits. <laughs> Isn't that fun, huh? And, and so there's this big argument over, if you go into Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15 you'll find that, that there's this big argument between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. They were ready to go on to their second missionary journey, and Paul is very adamant. No, I'm not taking John Mark. He dogged us. That's the Ken Barner translation, right? It's a little bit more eloquent in the Scripture. But the Greek words there are that they were angry, and it was a massive division. And you know what? When you see that, it just helps me to understand that, you know what? We're just humans, aren't we? We're just humans. God uses even our disagreements. Can we thank God for that? Man, God, yeah, thank him for that. He uses even our disagreements. Because what happened after that was they were so adamantly opposed to, to, to the difference here. Barnabas said, I'll take John Mark, and he did. He took John Mark. Paul ended up taking a guy named Silas, and now there were two missionary journeys instead of just one. And the gospel doubled. And later on, uh, as you read throughout the book of Acts, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, right after Jesus goes into heaven. It's the beginning of the church, and you see this. You see that Mark actually gets restored, and, uh, and, and later on, Paul even says, uh, as Paul's dying, he says, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to receive Mark. 
John Mark because he is profitable to me. So God heals and God restores and God used this guy, Mark. Many people believe that this was um, really Peter's perspective. As you're reading the book of Mark, it's like from a lot of the sermons that, that John Mark heard from Peter. He was, he, he was there, and he saw in the book of Acts, he saw all those sermons. And so he kept hearing this over and over. So he took, took some of the eyewitness account that he had, took Peter's eyewitness account, and he, and he gives us the book of Mark. So let's look what he has to say here. He says here in verse 1, and many people think this is introductory, but it's not just introductory. It's key to the whole book. It's key to the whole letter. Imagine you are in Rome, and you get this letter. You get this writing from this guy, John Mark, that about Jesus. And so he says here, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, there's that key phrase, Son of God. We keep saying this, and you're going to see that phrase comes up a whole lot in the book of Mark, the Son of God. I want to give you a couple thoughts here. The word gospel, what does the word gospel mean? You may have heard the gospel. Uh, it means this. It means good news, all right? Gospel means good news. Say that with me. Gospel means good news. Say it again. Gospel means good news. Now, it was a powerful term because in the Old Testament they had a, a Hebrew word, and, and and when they come into the New Testament, they're speaking Greek. So they had a Greek word that meant gospel, evangelon uh, or something like that is how I'm no Greek expert. But uh, gospel, good, the good news. And so it was used for royalty. It was used like they would say, the good news, the gospel, Caesar is king. No gospel for us. But that's what the locals would say. And so when the church got a hold of this word, they said, good news. Caesar's not king. Jesus is king. The good news. And, and so then it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so many people said, well, what is that? Why, why is sometimes he referred to Jesus and then we see Jesus Christ? Well, it's not his first and last name. You know, it's not like Ken Barner. It's Jesus is his name. And then Christ is a title. And what Christ was, it's a, it's a Greek word, Christos, and it was the, the, the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word from the Old Testament that meant Messiah, anointed one. So here it is. The good news is that Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Son of God. He says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he goes and he continues in verse 2. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before the Lord. So what he does is he begins to quote at the very beginning of his book. He gives you, he doesn't go to the manger. Luke goes to the manger. Matthew goes to the genealogy. He goes and he quotes the prophets. And the very first one he quotes here, actually verse 2 is a, a quote from Micah, and then verse 3 is a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. He continues on, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before the Lord. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. And so, check this out. I told you the word gospel is royal. The good news, it's royal. Well, every king 
in ancient time always had somebody that went ahead of the king. Somebody that was the messenger, the preparer of the way. And so what he does here, and he, he makes this clear, because that, that's not just a Jewish thing. That's like cultural. He says, listen, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The, 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 the person who went ahead of the king was to remove the obstacles so the king can come through. And Then he goes on, and he says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And right away, he puts a spotlight on John the Baptist. We call him John the Baptist. It was really John the Baptizer. That's what it means. His name means John the Baptizer. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. What was John's ministry? I've often thought about this. Like when we, when we baptize today, it's because we're identifying with Jesus. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He came back to life again for us. And uh, as a follower, we do this as an outward sign of an inward decision. So like what, what was John doing? Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. Why was he doing this? Well, what he was doing was he was calling the people to repentance. And baptism is only an outward It's only outward, folks. It never changes the heart. He said he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So I want you to think of this. He was preaching baptism, and he was preaching repentance. And the baptism was the outward sign, just like we do our outward sign today. He says, I want you to come and I want you to experience this. I want you to have your sins forgiven. Repent and come and confess your sins. Look here, Mark 1, 5. He continues on. Then all the land of Judea, um, those from Jerusalem went out to him, were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Here's John. He's out, he's out in the desert. He's in the wilderness. He's about 30 miles south of the Sea of Galilee. He's not in the city. He's out there, and, and he's baptizing. And so he, he, he went out, and, and he's baptizing them in this Jordan River. So he's taking them, and, he's, and the word baptize just means to immerse. That's all it means, to, to be put into, immerse, okay? So what he does is he takes, takes the people as they said they were repenting. Here's what was happening. They had a form of godliness. They were schooled. They, they, were, they understand the religion. They had a great religious life, but they had a secular life. And the two did not meet. And, and, and they, they had denied the power of God, basically. And, and so, so it was like they were going through the motions. And, and John says, stop going through the motions. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins and turn to God. And by the way, folks, repentance, don't be afraid of that word. It's actually a beautiful word. Repentance, whenever you and I think of repentance, we're always uncomfortable, aren't we? I think, oh, he's going to preach on that. What do you mean? Repentance. Repentance is this. To leave my sin. And here's what many people do. This is not what God's looking for. He's not saying, repent of your sin and turn to be a good moral person. That's what most people think repentance is. He's saying, leave your sin. And follow Jesus. Two different things. 
You see, over here, I'm at the center. Over here, I'm at the center of sin. Like, this is all my desires, and I'm getting what I want. This is all about me. And then what happens? If I turn over here, and I repent of my sins, and I turn to moralism, all I have done is added a few more good things to my list. And God says, there is none righteous. No, not one. Nobody is righteous. Nobody. We need the righteousness of God. So John was saying, turn from your sin to God. And what was happening was there was this great revival that was happening. And, uh, and as the great revival happened, it, we, we see that, that people, he was preparing the way. People were repenting. This revival was moving. That's when God comes, is whenever people repent of their sins and they turn to God. And so today, folks, that's the same message is to repent of your sins and turn to God, not turn to good moralism. And I've seen many people repent of the bad ways and try to make yourself good. God says, I don't want you to try to make yourself good. I want you to, ret- to stop going to that for your fulfillment. And I want you to come to me because I will fulfill you more than anything. Amen? Yeah, thank God. Thank God, man. That was a little extra today. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. He's giving you a description of what he looks like. He's saying this dude was like a mountain man. I got to be careful. I got in trouble in the first service. He's like a guy just living on the land. He's just out there, right? He's eating locust and honey. Man, that's not my idea of a good life, is it? Locust and honey. He's got camel hair. He's, he's just kind of real. He's out there. Uh, over in John, it says he, wouldn't, he wasn't allowed to cut his hair. I mean, he was out there in the woods. He was preparing the way. He, he was told to remove everything so that people could come to God. And so that's what he did. He, he got the people to come and get rid of sin and come and rely on God. And Jesus had not yet died on the cross. So he's taking them and saying, listen, begin to follow God. And as he's doing it, he preached. Uh, as he preached, he said this, there one, there's one that comes after me who is mightier than I whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to stoop down and loosen. He says, I cannot even come and get close to the one that's coming. And, and so, you know, people were getting excited. Look at what John's doing. And the people, remember, he's in the wilderness. The wilderness is always a big deal. When you see the word wilderness, desert in the Bible, pay attention. It's, always, it's, never, a, like a, like the, it's never the comfy zone. It, it's always a tough place, right? So he's out in a tough place, and he's doing ministry. And all these people, they understood the wilderness because their people for 40 years wandered in tents in the wilderness before they found the promised land. And so they go out to the wilderness to where John the Baptist is. And they say they hear the message. He preaches to them repentance. They repent. They turn towards God. And then he baptizes them. And he takes them in the Jordan River and he dunks them under the water. And he brings them back up. And it's a symbol. It's an outward symbol that, uh, that they have been made whole, that they have been washed, that they have been cleansed, and God is doing a new work in their life. And folks, I want to encourage you. He says this, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so what John was saying, he said, listen, this is a water thing, but when Jesus comes, the Spirit of God will wash your heart. 
you catch that? When, the, when Jesus comes, the Spirit of God will wash your heart. He, look, look at the analogy. I'm doing this. When Jesus comes, he will do this. He will wash your heart as you were washed in the Jordan. Now, I want to encourage you, folks. Um, Jesus was baptized by John. There's three key events on your notes. And I, I want to encourage you, just fill that in there. Number one, he was baptized by John. It's so important. Why is it so important? Like, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Verse 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Why, why did he do that? He didn't need to repent. There was no repentance. John was preaching repentance. You know what Jesus did? He identified with the move of God. He identified with the local followers of God. And he said, I am going to identify. I do, I'm, not, I'm not repenting. He had nothing to repent of. He never once sinned. He never once told a lie. He never did anything wrong. This is God, the Son of God. And so he comes and, and John takes him and baptizes him. And I want to ask you this. Have you been baptized yet? It's an outward sign of an inward decision. It's not something that I'm talking about, oh, maybe your parents had you do that when you were a baby. They did that for you. I'm talking about since you have decided to follow Jesus, have you taken that step? I tell people this all the time. And you've probably heard me say this before, but baptism is like a wedding ring. You know, it just reminds me that I'm married. Not that I need a reminder. Please don't do that to me. My name will be Mud, right? Remember the first time I told this illustration, my wife's like, you mean you'd forget you're married if you didn't have your ring on? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this is a symbol. This is not the contract. But you know what I do? I wear that to show my contract. And I want to ask you today, if you've not yet followed Jesus in believer's baptism, I want to ask you to, to pray about it, and let's pick a day. Uh, if God's talking to you about this today, you stop by the Welcome Center, give them your name and number. We will call you this week. We will get this on the schedule. Here's what we have. Right, right behind me underneath the cross there, there's a, um, there's a tank. <laughs> and, and, the, and we fill the water up about waist high. And we heat the water. It's really, really nice. I baptized the guy one time in, uh, in, the, in the Mon River. It's much nicer here, guys, okay? Uh, it was in October. George Deason, he's a great guy, man. It's, uh, it's a really powerful story. Um, I, I'll go to your swimming pool. We'll do whatever, but I'll tell you what. We have it, Jim Watson for me. It's 93 degrees in that pool back there, okay? Because last night I said 83. He goes, no, 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 it's 94. So, all right. The water's about waist high. And, and we come, I come in, and, and, and I take, and I just place your head under the water. I say, based upon your profession of faith and obedience to the Lord's command, because you're now a follower of Christ, here's the wedding ring. Buried in the likeness of Christ's death, and we just take and dip your head under the water, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And what you do when you do that is you have identified with his people. You have identified with his movement. You're telling the world that I have been made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He paid for my sin. And so I want to invite you today. If Maybe you did that whenever you were young and you didn't know what it meant. 
want to invite you. It's okay. I've baptized. Many people have been said, hey, you know what? Whenever I was little, I, I just kind of did this because everybody else was doing it. Sunday school's teacher said, who wants to get baptized? Everybody raised their hand. The whole class got baptized. Um, you know, in our church, we baptize people only once they become a follower of Christ. You'll see some, some third, fourth graders here get baptized. You'll see fifth graders, eighth graders, high school kids, grown adults. Uh, we'll, we'll baptize you at any age. And listen, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to help you uh, because that is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, so the big event here was that he was baptized by John. I want to encourage you to be baptized. And, 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 but first, the, the thing that has to happen first is you must believe in your heart. Like, that's the important part. It, the wedding ring don't make the marriage. The marriage makes the wedding ring. Got that? Next. Empowered by the Holy Spirit was the second key event. I'm going to be here till about 3 o'clock, right? All right. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look at this. As he's being baptized, look what, what Mark tells us. And immediately, okay, look at this verse 10. And immediately, coming up, you're going to see, if you go home and read this, by the way, it's only 16 chapters. You could read the whole book of Mark in an hour. It's incredible. Um, And immediately, coming up from this water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what we see right here, we see a picture of the Trinity. God the Father says, you are my beloved son. The son of God is in the water. And the dove, the dove, what's he say about the dove there? He says, go back one, one verse there. He says, and immediately as he came up, He saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And so what I want to encourage you is that, listen, God put his signature on this. He said, this is important. This is my son. I am well pleased. And when you get baptized, God is well pleased. But but listen, this is bigger than that. He's saying, listen, you are my son. I am very pleased. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so we see the first key event here in the ver- just a few verses he says that he is baptized by john he's empowered by the holy spirit and then we see the tested by the satan he's tested by the enemy by satan look verse 12 he says immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness man you know what when somebody gets baptized here you guys are like yeah it's a party going on man I told the first service, Bob Collin was here. He was up in the balcony. He helps on the parking lot. He's a great guy. Uh, he got baptized this summer. Right after we came back from the pandemic, he got baptized. It was wonderful. And then he asked me afterwards, he, says, he said, hey, um, we're having some food over at my house. Would you like to come over? I was like, yep. You don't have to ask me twice, you know. He said, we're going we're gonna to have some fun. And, and I said, you know what we did? We went over. We're like, yeah, go, Bob. Go, Bob. And we had a party. And it was exciting. And, and quite often people get baptized they'll, afterwards. They'll get a sandwich ring. They'll hang out in the gym. They'll go to a restaurant. And, and it's just a big day here because we are celebrating your commitment to Christ, what you and God have going on. There was something inwardly that happened, and the whole world knows about it. So as we do this, we have a party immediately. For Jesus, there was no party. 
I love Mark's words. Immediately, you're going to see that word. He used it over and over and over. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And there he goes. He goes out into the wilderness. And verse 13, and he was there in the wilderness, 40 days tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. So what I want to encourage you to think about today is this. How is it that God put his, his favor upon Jesus? And he's out in the wilderness. Like we see big event here, right? Wow, the big event. He's baptized. The Holy Spirit empowers him. He goes out. He's going to do all these miracles. But before he does that, he takes him to the desert for 40 days. And, and if you go read the other Gospels, they'll tell you that he didn't eat. He was fasting for 40 days. And he's tired. And he's weak. And he's out there. And he's tempted. And look what, the, look what the Scripture says. The good part is that the angels ministered to him. So you have God the Father is upon him. God the Spirit is with him. God the Son is in the desert now. He's alone and, and he's facing this temptation. And so what I want to encourage you to understand is this, that sometimes in the, the center of God's will may be in a desert. Did you catch that with me? Read that with me. Sometimes the center of God's will is in the middle of a desert. I want you to think about that with me because it's so, it, so many times we think that, man, I became a follower of Jesus. Everything should be perfect in my life. You know what? I, I gave my life to Jesus. Therefore, I'm not going to have anything bad happen to me and I'm going to live happily ever after. I'm sorry that's not Christianity. What you just described is a fairy tale. Fairy tales live happily ever after. I look in the Bible, I don't see a fairy tale. I don't see people converting to moralism. I see them coming to Jesus, they follow Jesus, and their life is still hard, but he says, I am with you, and I will be with you to the very end. And you say, well, who would want that? Who would want life without God's help? Life is pretty broken. Go out there and try and live life without God's help. Sometimes the center of God's will is the middle of a desert. I want you to think about this because quite often we have an equation. And we take this equation, obedience, and then we add in God's favor. Like, yeah, God is pleased. This is what happened. Jesus was in the, you know, he's, he's obeying the Lord. He gets baptized and God's favor is upon him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit comes upon him. We see the Spirit's leading. And you are thinking, man, this is the best life now. That makes great book titles, doesn't it? God says, no. It equals a desert experience. Not always. It doesn't always equal a desert experience. But, but I'll tell you what, for Jesus, we see the model here. And this is our Master. This is our Savior. And there, there was a, a, a desert experience Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Immediately, verse 12 there, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He goes out in the wilderness, and the Bible's always not a good place. But it's the place that Jesus grew and was prepared for his ministry 40 days before he would go to a ministry of three years, roughly three and a half years before he would die on the cross and pay for your sin, pay for my sin. Obedience takes us to where we need to be. It really takes it rarely takes us, not necessarily does it take us where we want to be. 
Obedience takes us where we need to be, not necessarily where we want to be. I shared with you today about the family that lost their 17-year-old daughter this week. Those people love God, man. They have done, they have been obedient. God's favor has been upon their life. And I'll tell you right now, that's why I've asked you to pray for them. Because this is a hard, hard time. But God is with them. And if you would have been with that little girl, listen, that, that girl's 17 years old. You know what she told the doctors? The doctors came and they said, hey, you know, this is hard. And I, I, I thank God for the medical care people we have, man, to be able to compassionately be able to talk through with a young child like that. 17 years old, this is terminal. There's nothing else that we can do. It's a brain tumor. We can't fix this. You know what she told the doctors? She said, it's okay. I know where I'm going. I'm just concerned for my parents. When I talked to that girl, I said, that's a real Christian right there. 17 years old. You know what you're thinking about at 17 years old? What college am I going to go to? What will I do for a living? Who will I spend my life with? Her mom and dad, we prayed Mark and Cherie, we prayed. God answered not the way that we wanted it answered. But they are faithful. And when, 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 when I got the word from, from her mother, from little Rachel's mother, from Jennifer Laura, do you know what she told me? She said, God healed my daughter today. And he wanted to be with Jesus. She wanted to be with Jesus. Folks, a blessed life is not necessarily an easy life and i want you to pray for that family my heart is broken i am that girl stole my heart man she stole my wife's heart she stole the heart of many people in this church if you know the adams please send them a card please reach out to them if you don't know them bring bring in a bring in a card next week give it to the welcome center we'll get it to them mark and sheree adams and just let them know that we're praying for them if you bring in a card to scott and jennifer laura l-a-r-a we will send it to them. We'll gather them here, bring it to the Welcome Center next week, and we will gather them and we will send them down to them. But I want you to know, folks, they are holding on to Jesus. And many others in our church are going through similar things, big, small, all size of problems in between. A blessed life may not be an easy life. Acts 14:22. They encourage them to continue in their faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. He's not saying that that's a qualification to get to heaven. He's saying, listen, the journey is not easy. But like I've told you many times, I would not want to live this life without God because the journey is not any easier without Him. Amen? Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift in Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I'd like to invite you to Jesus. That's what we're talking about. He's remarkable. He really is. He's the Son of God. And, and you know what? We're, we're gonna, I'm going to show you in the future. Like He went through those things today, and he understands what you're going through today. He understands the desert that you're in. Maybe you're in a desert. Some of you have been in a desert for four or five years right now. 
and it's painful and you can't stand end to it. Some of you have just started your desert. Some of you have been in a desert for 20 years and, and you can't understand what God's doing. And I want to give you this, this encouragement today. The remarkable Jesus. He is with you. He is so worth you giving your life to Him. He doesn't He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to walk with Him. And so today, if that's you, you say, Pastor Ken, I'm I'm ready to trust Jesus. Would you start a relationship with Him? He said, Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of their sin. So I invite you this morning to Jesus. Just pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I come before you. I'm a sinner. I've done wrong, but I'm going to trust the remarkable Jesus today. That he died on the cross. That he paid for my sin. That he came back to life again for me. And for others, maybe right now, your prayer to God is this. Lord, I've been in the desert. I'm so Sorry, today I repent of looking at the desert, not through your eyes. You sent your son Jesus to the desert. Lord, I'm your child. Here's my desert. And lay it all on the table. Father God, we thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the lives that are being changed here, online, all over the world right now, through your mighty hand. You are the remarkable Jesus. God, as we take this journey and look at the story of Jesus, we're so thankful that you gave us the records. You gave us historical accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God, as we look at this, speak to us, Lord. We're going we're gonna to take a lot of time. We're going to spend our time on Jesus. And, Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do as people slowly make their decision whether or not they're going to follow this Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for those in this room and online and just today. said, today's my day. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you folks. Have a great week. It's 50 degrees and rain. It's beautiful. Have a great day. God bless.
His truth and power will always remain. But as my eyes close and mind awakes, no words come to fill the space. 'Cause words, they don't do your power much justice. It's too great, too great to be bound by little letters we make up. And it's funny that we sometimes think we understand the fullness of your glory by calling you this and that. 